good morning, everybody, um, and and thank you, Kenneth, so much for your piece. And and you guys, um, Kenneth will be here if you guys want to ask him more about it um, after our, our gathering. This will be here at the communion table. You can come look up and uh, and check it out for yourself. So, um, cool. So uh, today, I uh, I want to show you a word. Um, today's a ser- it's a sermon about a word. Um, it's a word that is 19 letters long. Um, it's this big, provocative, mysterious, compelling word. And um, there's so much to it, um, it needed a whole message all for itself. And I want to talk about where this word comes from. I want to talk about what it could mean in human history um, and what it could mean for you and I if we took this word seriously in our everyday lives. And so the word is found in Ephesians chapter 1. And um, Ephesians, if, you, if you're new to the scriptures, Ephesians is a letter. And um, if you're new to the scriptures and you're not sure what to think about them, um, a really good starting point is that real people in real places, in real times, wrote these gospels and letters and poems and biographies. And, and they wrote what they did because something had happened to them. Um, they were having these, these um, you could say, transcendent encounters with someone, with something uh, bigger than themselves, and they were doing their best to put language to what it was that they were experiencing. Um, they were, there were things unfolding all around them, and they were having these encounters, and they were trying to figure out, like, how can I explain who or whatever it was that I, that I encountered? That's, that's where I begin. The Bible is a library of all these kinds of encounters. Um, encounter, some of the encounters are messy, there's, they're full of questions, there's struggle, um, there's moments of doubt, of euphoria, of shame, of persecution, of elation, of worship. Um, basically, it's, it's the whole gamut of the human experience. Um, and so the scriptures are people in real places, in real times, writing about their very real human experience with God. And, and maybe this morning um, you'd say, yeah, that's me. I'm trying to make sense of my human experience. I am trying to make sense of someone or something that I've encountered. And the biblical story would tell you, uh, you're not crazy. And you're not the only one who's ever felt that way before. And so this letter is called Ephesians because it's written to some of the first Christians who are living in a city called Ephesus, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. And this letter to the Ephesians begins with this giant run-on sentence. Um, Paul is one of the first Christians, and he's the one who wrote this giant run-on sentence because, uh, like everybody else in the biblical story, he's, he's experienced something that he's got to tell us about. It's something that's profoundly changed him, and he's trying to describe what's happened to him. And as he's trying to describe what's happened, the words just keep tumbling out of him to the point that, like, there's no time for pauses and punctuation. It's just like, bleh, it's just all coming out. And he's just fire hosing us with his words, and he doesn't apologize for it. He can't help himself what he wants to tell us. And so in this giant run-on sentence, um, Paul talks about, you'll see in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see that word blessing. Paul talks about the God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He talks about how we are children of God. He talks about how God has done what he's done because of great pleasure. And there's purpose behind all this. And he, he uses the word lavish. He says God lavishes us with grace and with redemption. So first off, Paul's experience that he wants to share with us, his experience with God is that God has been lavish with his grace and with his gifts. He he pours out and he blesses. 
And, and this is really important for us and for our friends um, because people are all across the spectrum when it comes to what we think about when we think about God. If somebody just, you know, took a poll, a pop quiz, what do you think about when you think about God? Um, I, what I wonder is, what if we tried on Paul's perspective for a while? What if we tried on Paul's perspective of what, what his experience has been of God? Paul begins with this huge announcement that God has been lavish and just over the top with his gifts and his goodness towards us. He, he believes that God is a God who blesses us and gives us grace and freely gives us what we need. And he uses the word lavish. And, and what, I, what I wonder for all of us is like if, if somebody gave us a pop quiz, if somebody was just taking a poll, and they said, hey, what, what, what would be a word you would use to describe God? Is lavish one of the first words that would come to your mind. What's God like? Oh, yeah. Oh, I could tell you. He's lavish. Is that, is that the first thing that would come to your mind? My, my guess is probably not. But underneath it all, do you believe that there is somebody who's, who's benevolent and kind and for you and on your side? Are we all alone in the universe? Or is there someone or something that's behind all of it? Is, is it all random? Or is there a purpose? Is there, is there a story and a goal behind all of it? This, this library of, of human encounters with God, it's getting right to the heart of some of the things that we wonder about when we wonder about this human existence and what's going on in the world. So then Paul says, God has made known to us the mystery of his, of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And he says God's doing what he's doing in the world out of pleasure. So again, when you think about God and the first words that come to your mind, are, are, are you thinking, yeah, yeah, pleasure is a word I think of. I think lavish, I think pleasure. Like how great is that? God is a pleasure seeker. Is that how we view God? Or what if we could try on Paul's perspective for a while and go, is, is this a better way to understand what God's like? Think about, think about all the people that you know who, when they think about God, what, the words that, that would come to mind for them, they, would, they, would, they feel like God's angry at them for something. You know, Maybe they could list some things, or they're like, I'm not really sure, but based on how my life is going, he, he must be really ticked off at me. God's angry, or God's boring. And, and nobody really talks about this, but for some reason we're supposed to care about that God. But, um, I don't know, it's kind of an emperor has no clothes situation where, where you, nobody says it, but it's like, yeah, I, I'm not really sure why we're supposed to care about that God. But Paul's understanding of what God is like is that God's been up to something really big and really mysterious, but now, because it brings him great pleasure, God is letting us in on something that's been at work the whole time. This, this mystery of how God is at work in the world Paul says that there's, there's a goal behind it. There's a point. The, the driving force behind all of it, Paul says, is Christ. Paul's understanding is that God has been up to something in the world the whole time, and now his grand purpose for the world has been revealed, and it's been revealed through Jesus the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name as in Jesus H. Christ or any other way that we would want to describe that. It's not his last name. Christ is a title. Uh, it's this loaded word that basically means this is the one we've been waiting for. 
This is the one who brings the life of God. This one is the fulfillment of God's purposes in the world. For, for many people... Um, their understanding of Jesus, the way that you'll, you might hear other Christians explain it, is that Jesus was, it's almost like he was inserted late in the game. Um, the basic storyline for them is, well, you know, this, the world got really messed up, and then God was like, oh, what, are, what am I going to do about these humans? Man, these kids, they're making a huge mess of the place. For, for many people, their understanding is that God, he didn't expect this, that he was caught off guard. And then God was like, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll send in Jesus. He's the cleanup crew. He'll, 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 he'll do something with this, this mess. For them, Jesus is a solution to a problem. But Paul wants us to know something very different. He's saying that Jesus is the unveiling, he's the revealing of something that has been at work the whole time. In, uh, in the Gospel of John, a, a disciple of Jesus, uh, one of his closest followers, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. So John and Paul would say, you've you got to understand that when you talk about Jesus, you're talking about someone who is the revealing of what God has been up to all along. So when the first Christians talked about Jesus Christ, they're not talking about some solution that God threw together at the last minute to just get us out of this mess. They're talking about the revealing of something that has been present from the beginning and has been at work all along. It's just that you and I, we are just now getting let in on what's been happening all along. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? So... Paul says God is up to something in the world through Christ. And then he says in Ephesians 1, he says, the thing that God has been up to, it's going to be revealed when the times reach their fulfillment. So he's telling us this, this thing, it's, it's been moving towards something the whole time when the times reach their fulfillment. And, and, and what is that something? What's the goal? Where's it all headed? The unity of of all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Ephesians 9 and 10, one, uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, God, God's up to something really profound through Christ. This, this movement of God through Christ, it's, it's headed somewhere. The goal of the whole thing is the unity of all things in heaven and earth. Now, when you read um, to bring unity to all things, there's a lot going on here. Um, this letter was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And in Greek, that phrase, to bring unity, is that word that I told you I wanted to tell you about. This is the word, anakafeleustasthai. And in case you're wondering, yes, I'm totally butchering the pronunciation. Here's a little tip. If you're in any kind of circle with Christians and you have to read some weird place name or title and you're not sure how to say it, just just go for it and say it with 100% confidence and just look at people like, I dare you to correct me. And everybody will just say, yeah, you know. So just say it with 100% confidence. So, anakafeliustasthai. This is a 17-letter word in Greek, 19 in English. So... The next time you're playing Scrabble, if if you really if you want it to be a, if you want it to be just a quick game, if if you're not here to make friends, you know you just want to obliterate your opponent. 
may I humbly suggest anakephaleustasai. And they'll be like, that's not a word. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's my pastor. What Paul is saying is that what God is up to in the world through Christ is to anakephaleustasai the whole thing. And we're going to talk about what that means. Now, right in the middle of this word is the word kephaleao. And I kind of like it because it sounds like uh uh-oh at the end. Kephaleao. This word kephaleao, it has to do with a head. So like when we talk about bringing things to a head or putting a head on things, we're talking about giving something an organizing center. Um, Let's say you're in a situation or you're and, and, and you just can't see how it all works out. It just everything seems random, just seems like all these broken pieces and scattered fragments. And you have no idea, like, what's the plot? What's this mean? Where is it all going? Um, some of us have sat through, you know, children's plays like that at our kid's school or somebody's telling us a story and you're like, where is this all going? Um, it just feels totally random and scattered, like like a body running around without a head. Um, but after you put a head on it, now there's an organizing center, and now all of the pieces that seem scattered and random, everything now has connection. It has a focus. It has a goal. Everything gets unified, and you go, oh, okay, and you, and you can make sense of what's going on. That's what's going on with this word, anakephaleustasthai. Paul is telling us that the mystery of history has been revealed. God, Paul says, has been at work to bring connection and healing and unity to all things under Christ. Christ is how God's going to anakephaleus this thigh, the whole thing. All the pieces of the human story, what we see on the news, what we hear about going on in our neighborhoods, what's going on in our families, all the pieces that you go, what's the plot? What's the point? This all seems so scattered and random, all these fragments. Paul says God is at work to give all of it an organizing center. God is at work. He is going to retell the human story. God's going to retell it in light of Christ. And and you and I, we do this retelling thing all the time in in how we tell stories about things that have happened to us or to other people. Um, Like on Instagram, when you see the hashtag unfiltered, what's that person telling you about their photo if it's unfiltered? What are they saying? Here's some thoughts. No Photoshop. Yeah, this is what I look like without makeup. This is the real me. This is the real deal. This is, this is unfiltered. This is what actually happened. This is what this looks like. I didn't crop or edit out any of the unsavory parts or anything like that. So I'm going to show you a picture. And then first, I'm going to give you the beautiful curated Instagram version of, of how you could put this together. And then I'm going to give you the unfiltered version, and you can tell me which story you think is better. So the curated version, oh, I didn't put that slide in there. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go back to unfiltered. Mm, let's see. Let's go forward. One more. Let's, leave, let's leave it, go back to the cafe photo. All right, here's what you were going to do. We're going to, um, I'm, I'm sorry about this. I, I had a picture, and it was a team photo, and um, it's, uh, it's a bunch of folks. Uh, just imagine some, some just, just, just some ridiculously good-looking people in a park, standing side by side and smiling. All right? You got it in your head? All right, sorry about that. Um, the graphic designer in me that's just killing me right now that I can't show you this. But anyway, it's probably better in your head. So just imagine some really good-looking people on my Instagram feed. 
And here's what I'd write. I'd say, amazing day with the wonderful people that God has brought together to make a dream, a reality, the dream of a new church in Oakland. This new church, it's a community. We're following Jesus for the renewal of Oakland. Hashtag Oakland. Hashtag community. Hashtag thankful. Hashtag blessed. You know? So slap a filter on that, and if you're too cool for that, run it through Visco Cam, and we know you're all better. You're better than the rest of us. Good job. Um, that version of the picture is so boring. That is a really boring way to tell stories, but we do it all the time. Let me tell you the unfiltered version. About a year ago, uh, I had this idea. Kenneth's smiling because he already knows where it's going. <laughs> We, my, I, I had this idea for this amazing day with the newly forming reunion team. Because it was like, hey, we're going to get this church started. Let's get together. Let's talk about our gifts and how God made us. And let's, but I'm like, let's, let's not have a boring meeting. Let's have a really great time. So I had this idea, like, this is going to be an amazing day. So my plan was we're going to start at this really funky cafe here, uh, Hawk and Pony. And uh, because I'm such a cool pastor, and I know all the cool places in town, but I'm too humble to say it. I'll just let you figure it out. Like, we'll be in this space, and you'll be like, this is a cool place. I got a cool pastor, and I'll be like, oh, I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Your words. So, and my plan was we're going to hang out for a bit till everybody arrives. I'm going to pay for everybody's coffee and pastries because I'm such a generous pastor, as well as humble and cool. But I'm too humble to say it. And you know what? I'm going to make this really easy for you. Those of you who are on the team who have kids, bring them along. This is going to be a family-friendly event. Uh, Sarah and I, we're going to bring our infant son, David, and the baby carrier after everybody gets their coffee and pastries that are so generously provided by your super cool, humble, generous pastor. We are going to walk to a nearby park. It's going to be outdoors. It's not going to be a boring meeting. We're going we're gonna to be out in sunshine, enjoy some beautiful Oakland weather. On the way, we're going to connect. We're going to talk. We're going to become best friends. When we arrive, your kids will have a place to play. They're going to become best friends. You're going to go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I found this church. This is changing my life, and I've only been here for like 20 minutes. And I'll be like, I know, right? It's going to be this amazing day because I'm an amazing leader. That's how it all worked out in my head. I'll just tell you right now, this story ends with me saying to myself, oh, so this is how you kill a church. <laughs> That's how the story, here's what actually happened, okay? Hawk and Pony is so popular that there was nowhere to sit and hang out. And it was super hot, because, hello, um, no like air conditioning or anything going in that place. We're standing around all awkwardly and crowded, and everybody's like working on their laptops, looking at us, like, what are these people doing? And the music was so loud, it was hard to talk, and the drink service is not super fast, and there were a bunch of people in line in front of us, and a bunch of people were late to the meeting, and I don't like late people. <laughs> if you're late, I, I don't like you. I'm sorry. I just... And I'm not going to name any names, Lois Hines, but those late people were annoying me. I'm like, where are they? We can't get this thing started without them. We're all supposed to be connecting, having this awesome time. I was doing everything right. You wrecked it because of your lateness. Finally, when everybody arrives, I announce that we're going to go walk to a nearby park together. But then somebody in the group who will go unnamed, Lois Hines, decided, oh, you know what? Can I, I changed my mind. Can I still get that latte? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, great. Great. And so we stood around awkwardly for some more time while we waited for one coffee drink to get made. At this point, I made an executive decision as our amazing leader. 
the park wasn't that far away, so I was going to lead the first group, and Sarah was going to lead the second group. It really was just my way of not having to wait for the late latte person. Um, plus, while I walked, I could work on forgiving them for being late. Um, so I text the park address to Sarah, who has David in the baby carrier, and she's looking at me like, are you serious right now? And I'm like, I, what? I can't hear you. The cafe's so loud. I love you. See you soon. And we start walking. Now, the thing is, the, the park looked like it was really close to the cafe. Like, if you just do, like, a quick Google Maps bird's eye view and don't actually, like, put in the directions, it looks close. But, no, it's, uh, it's a half mile away. Did I mention we had kids with us? And David was with Sarah in the baby carrier. Um, somebody in Sarah's group, in group two, decided they were going to drive their group to the park because they're way smarter than me and better at coming up with plans. When we arrived at Grove Shafter Park, I made some more discoveries. The park was next to a super busy street, super shady neighborhood. The the, the bar across the street is called the Mile High Club, so, you know, real kid-friendly trip, Pastor. Great, great. There's drug needles in the grass. There's a crazy homeless guy who is yelling at a water fountain. He's yelling at a water fountain that is bursting with water like a geyser onto the basketball court where I thought, I thought there was going to be a play structure for the kids. There's not even a hoop. There's just like a backstop, no hoop. The kids are apparently supposed to play there. Everybody who brought their kids is not releasing them. They're holding them very tightly saying, do not, you stay right where I can see you or I, we, you know. Worst of all, the park is under a freeway overpass. So here I am, super pastor, going, yeah, we're going to have some vision time. And I'm yelling instructions to the group like, okay, so you guys, God, it's amazing. God has made us to be this body. We're this body with, with gifts. What? With gifts. Okay, so we're going to talk about our different gifts. Okay. Uh, Sarah, Sarah. Why don't you go first with what you had to share? I'll take David. Sarah's like, what? You go first. I'll take David. And so Sarah then, guys, pray for Sarah. Just, she leads the group discussion while I strap David to me. David is crying because even as a baby, he can tell things are going horribly. Um, I'm doing laps with him around the cement pylon that is holding up the freeway. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, so this is how you kill a church. And yet, a year later, we're still here. <laughs> we're the kids. We didn't lose anybody. I, I have learned a few things since then. A few things. Ask Sarah and ask the team. Uh, they will let you know I've still got a lot to learn. Uh, did I hear it? Mm-hmm. That's... Wow, guys hurtful. Um, But God has proven himself again and again to be the one who's holding this church together. God has proven himself again and again to be the one who's holding me together and holding you together. Over the years, uh, over this last year, the name reunion has become more and more appropriate to describe what God's been doing among us. Um, it's where it's it, reunion comes from that word to bring unity to all things, to Anna Kefeleus, the style, the whole thing. God has been at work to bring his anakaphaleuslistai factor to this church, to me, to your lives. Which means 
we can bring all of our brokenness and flaws and bad ideas that we thought were great ideas, and God can still bring something redemptive out of all of it. Now, I'll let you decide of the two versions of the story I told, the, the curated, beautiful Instagram version with all the clever hashtags and filter, or the unfiltered version. I think we all know which story was better, right? The stories that we tell or that we've been, have been held captive to where the storyteller is talking about, well, here's this situation and I was so awesome and I'm just capable and then just like everything I touch just turns to gold. It just works out for me. I just, I, most things that I try, it just works out. Those stories are so boring. So boring. We don't want to hear it. But the stories where all of our plans fell apart, the stories where we, we all have a story where it all fell apart. And those stories are way more entertaining. It was supposed to be great, but we ran out of gas. Or we locked ourselves out. Or there was a bear that ate all the food. Now, at the time, when it all fell apart, you weren't like, man, this is going to be a great story later. I am so glad things are going so poorly right now because this is going to be so entertaining in my living room with my friends. Nobody's thinking that. But later, you look back on the story with some perspective, and what do you do? You, you anakafeleustasthai, uh, the story. As the experience is unfolding, it's just a bunch of random fragments that don't have anything to do with each, each other. It's just it, the, the whole experience is really maddening and confusing and humiliating. But then later, when you anakafeleustasthai, your story, what do you do? You, you, put a, you put a new head on it. You, 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 you see it from a different angle or a lens. You give it a, a new organizing center. You reframe it in a way that it's hilarious. You gather up all the pieces and you retell it, knowing some things, having some perspective on what happened. And the thing is that the worst moments of the story end up becoming the best parts of your story. And has it been your experience that when you told that story, it helped somebody else? Has it been your experience that when they heard your story, they laughed? Maybe also, whether they told you or not, they began to go, oh, like, I can relate to this person. They're like a real person. Maybe, maybe your story told them, I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm not alone. Maybe I'm going to be okay because they're still here. They got through it. Maybe I'm going to get through it. We, we named our church reunion to remind ourselves that this is what God is doing with all of our stories. This is what God is doing with the human story. It's not a story about this big, gigantic mess that humans made of the whole thing and then Jesus was inserted later to fix all of it. No, the story is that God has been up to something the whole time. The Bible is full of these stories where God encountered everyday humans like me and you. These humans did not have the full picture. These people were far from perfect. But God met them where they're at. He wrote their stories into a larger story of what he was up to. And then as the story began to unfold, God, the author of the story, enters the story as one of us. 
as Christ, as Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one who brings the life of God, the one who is the fulfillment of God's purposes for the whole thing that God's been up to. But then the story of Jesus takes a surprising turn. And it wasn't the filtered Instagram success story where everybody recognizes who, <clears throat> excuse me, recognizes who he is and immediately trusts him and crowns him king and says, it's you, we've been waiting for you. He, Jesus is rejected. He is betrayed and arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified on a Roman cross. By all accounts, Jesus dies as a reject and a failure. When you and I tell our stories, when we anacophalius the sty of the story, that doesn't m- mean that we remove the parts of the story that were embarrassing or heartbreaking. Those parts happened. Those parts are real. The painful and the evil parts of the story, we leave them in. And we don't say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yes, it was a big deal. We don't say, well, that abuse, that divorce... I don't need to dump that stuff on you. But it's a central part of your story. Why would you downplay that? When we anacophalliusthesize something, we acknowledge how awful it was. And in the retelling, we just let it all sit there. And in the retelling, we give it a new head. We give it a new organizing center. And then what happens is that the worst parts of the story are what make the story so great. Paul says that God is up to something in the world. God, through Christ, is anacophalius the sign, the whole thing. The worst parts of the story, the most painful parts, the broken pieces that seem so random. This is where we can be honest with God and say, God, I don't know how you're going bring, to bring unity to all of this. What's going on in my world? What's going on on my street? What I see on the news? How, how are you going to give all this a new organizing center? Through Jesus the Christ. Christ who entered our story. Christ who was rejected and betrayed and arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified on a Roman cross. Christ who by all accounts died as a reject and a failure. God was mysteriously at work through all of this. It was not a last-minute intervention. It was not something that, that caught God off guard. This was part of the plan all along. Because in Jesus, God's plan was to gather up the worst that we could do to him, the worst that we could do to each other, the worst that's been done to us. He gathered all of it up. He fully owned it. He fully owned the human situation in order to heal it. There's this early Christ follower named Gregory of Nazianzus, and he, he puts it like this. He says, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. If only half of our humanity fell, then that which Christ assumes and saves may be half also. But if the whole of our nature fell, it must be united to the whole nature of him and so be saved as a whole.
Gregory is saying to you and me, don't trust Jesus with just some of your story. Jesus doesn't just want the Instagram-worthy parts of our story. He wants the whole thing so that he can heal it, so that he can retell it as part of his story, so that he can save it completely. That is the implication of this letter, this first paragraph, this one word in this letter written 2,000 years ago. When it comes to my story and your story and Oakland's story, you and I are being invited to live our lives as part of God's story. And when God tells his story and when he tells our story, he doesn't get rid of the worst moments. He doesn't gloss it over. He doesn't downplay it or forget He retells our story from a different angle, from a different lens. He puts a new head on it. He gives it an organizing center. That organizing center, that new angle, that new lens, it's the cross and empty tomb of Jesus. The unfolding story of God tells us there is another way to see all the shattered and broken fragments of our lives and what's going on in the world. And the mark of a maturing and a growing Christ follower is somebody who is able to trust that right here and now there is an anakapheleustasthai factor that is possible, that can be accessed in this moment. For example, you are here. You are breathing. You're alive. Everything you've been through Everything painful, shameful, humiliating. That feeling you've had of, am I going to make it? Well, you made it. You're here. It didn't kill you. At, at the most basic level, accessing the Thy factor is being able to say, this is what I went through. And I'm still here. I'm still here. On, on your chair, uh, there's a black piece of paper, black piece of construction paper. Why don't you grab that? Take a moment to consider where it is that you are needing Jesus to bring the Anakaphelius, the Stye Factor. I know you don't know how you don't need to know how to spell the Anakaphelius thy factor, although it is on the screen. But consider something where you're wondering right now, like you don't have perspective on it right now. Where you're, what's something in your life where you're like, God, I still don't know what's going on with this part of my story. God, this is an area of my life where I want to trust that you can gather this up and retell it. As part of your story. I don't have the full picture. I don't see where this is going. But here, here's my thing that I'm wondering about. What, what are you going to do with this? If Maybe there's a word or a phrase that would describe that. When you think of what it is, write it on your black piece of paper. And, and just hold on to that piece of paper. Here's the thing about how God is at work to bring Anakaphelius the sty to all things. Today, you and I can choose hope. We can choose joy and courage and honesty. We can choose to be open with other people and not hold ourselves back from them. 
And the reason why is because the cross and the empty tomb was where Jesus assumed all of it so that he could heal all of it. It's not all random and scattered. There is a, there is a point to all of this. There is a goal to all of this. This is all going somewhere. Behind it all is someone who is with you and for you, who is lavish and creative and mysterious in how he works. But he's telling a story. What if today you could trust that there's another way to tell your story? The story that we tell other people, maybe we need to rework it in light of Jesus. What if we could trust what I'm going through right now? It's not going to last forever. This is not how it's always going to be. I'm going to get through this because I'm not alone. There's someone who is on my side. There's someone who's already taken care of everything needed to retell this story, to heal it, to bring it all together. What if we could trust that there, this, this, this whole thing, everything I went through, everything that's going on in the world, it can all be gathered up in a way that's not going to gloss over the pain or downplay things. What if there's a way to tell this story in a way that's unifying and coherent and redemptive and honest? That's the good news that we have to share with people, with ourselves, with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors. Our stories can be gathered up and retold in light of Jesus. And Christians need, need reminding of this on a regular basis. I need reminding of this on a regular basis. Pretty much uh, maybe three, four, 17 times a day. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of the reasons that we celebrate communion when we get together as a church. Because Jesus brought the Anacophelius, the thy factor, to bread and to a cup. The bread and, and the cup, it becomes something more. And uh, Roman and, and uh, is it Roman and Kenneth, you guys, can you guys just uh, hold up your bread and cup as a visual for us right now? If you want to just stand at your spot, but just hold this up. Jesus took ordinary bread and a cup. It had different meaning before he took hold of it, and he changed the meaning. He changed it, and he said, this, this bread and cup is something more than what you thought it was. He said, this bread, it's, it's my body. This cup, it's my blood, and it's for you. This is how I'm making all things new. This is how I'm retelling the story. This is how I'm going to bring healing and connection and unity and restoration to all things. So today, as we celebrate communion, let's let the bread and the cup remind us of how Jesus can bring his anacophelius, this thy factor, to every part of this world that he loves, to every part of our lives. So if there's anything in your life that needs to experience God's anacophelius, this thy factor, if there's anything in your life that needs to be retold, today, what if, what if we opened ourselves up to trust that the cross and the empty tomb that Jesus assumed all of it so that he could heal all of it. And if you wrote something on your paper, the black ink on the black paper keeps this anonymous. As we celebrate communion, as you come forward to receive the bread and the cup, why don't you leave your piece of paper right here in front of Kenneth's surrender artwork. Leave it there as a prayer. Leave it as a way to say, God, you, see what, you saw what I wrote. You know, you know my situation. You see me. This is my prayer. This is me telling you, here's something where I'm still not sure how this is all going to work out and where this is all going, but this is my prayer. I'm, I'm bringing this to you, and I'm going to leave it here 
as a way to say, I'm leaving it with you, God. And then there's one more way we want to bless you. Um, after you receive the bread and the cup and round the corner, um, myself and my friend Laura, um, we, would, we would be more than happy to um, anoint your forehead with oil. And I'll tell you what this means, but first off, know that you can pass on this if, if, uh, if it's not for you. But if I tell you what it means, maybe you won't want to pass. Um, for thousands of years, God's people have received anointing oil on their head in, in times when they were in need of God's Spirit. When they were asking God for healing or wisdom or courage or strength, when they were being called into something, they received anointing on their forehead when they wanted to be reminded that God was with them. So if that sounds like something that you would appreciate God doing in your life, then before you go back to your seat, uh, myself and my friend Laura will be at the back of the room and we'll anoint your forehead with oil in the sign of the cross. So the bread and the cup are ready. We also have a gluten-free option on the, on the table if you need it. Um, and the anointing oil is ready. So um, if the worship band could come up. And uh, this is how we'll do this. Uh, the first row can come up. And then when you receive communion, if you could go to the outside of your aisle. And then myself and my friend Laura will be, be back there uh, to anoint anybody who would like that. And then also, um, and then you can head back to your seat after that. And Sarah, do you mind getting the lights? Thank you so much. So um, let me pray for us. Jesus, for my friends who need to know where you're at, what you're up to, what you're doing, we, we want to trust you today. We bring all these things to you, wanting to trust the story of what you're up to and how you're at work in the world. And so, Jesus, thank you for your body, for your blood. Thank you for entering into the story. We take this into ourselves. Uh, we take you into ourselves. And we want to become what we eat. We want to become more like you. We want your life and power and wisdom and goodness and character at work and inside of us, Lord. This is our prayer. Amen.